1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with Goals.
0: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm especially excited this week because Allison Rudd is back in the studio after her long, long absence, which I believe was work-related. Uh, isn't that right, Allison? Uh, of course. I don't do holidays. No, no, no. You were just uh, researching uh, hotels in the uh, Seychelles, is that right? <laughs> well, researching
3: hotels in Rio, that was part of it, yeah
0: very very nicely done and it's not just Allison but even better it's Tony Cascarino (laughs) joining me in the studio again and down the line we have Rory Smith Uh, coming up we'll be discussing Liverpool Spurs, Remy Guard's departure Dr. Boder come on out you knew that was coming right Uh, but first let's focus on the runaway Premier League leaders Leicester and Southampton, we, we've sort of talked both these teams to death this year, but it is a hugely compelling story. So let's make this very simple and start with the incidents by turning to our qualified referee, Alison Rudd, two possible handball claims. I was told by referee that the laws are very, very clear and I shouldn't bother him by asking about this. So he never told me what his opinion was. So I'm going to ask you. The, the Danny Simpson, there's, for those who didn't see this, there's a goal-bound shot. He's in the way of the shot. It strikes his arm or his elbow, I think, when, to me, it looked like it was pretty close to his body. Penalty?
3: No. It's one of those incidents where emotionally it looks like a penalty. It sort of was very dramatic, and because he was where the goalkeeper should have been and his arm was moving, and he managed to block and move the ball with his arm, In some respects, it looked like the most obvious handball, but if you look at all the factors you have to take into account to decide whether it is or not, it's perfectly feasible that it was not in the least bit deliberate. It was a natural action his arm was where it should have been he wasn't if his arm had been anywhere else it would have been a penalty but his arm was exactly where it should have been as a uh-huh. person running across a goal would have looked like so I there was nothing unnatural or cheaty about it
0: i get a sense that this will come up and when i ask about the hooth penalty but anybody dispute allison's interpretation or have something meaningful or intelligent to add never <laughs> no okay that's easy then the robert hooth one uh, and by the way, the reason we're dwelling on this you know, it will become apparent in, in, in a second is the, the Robert Huth, uh incident on, on the cross. Penalty?
3: No, no, absolutely not. Really close oh. range. And I think his eyes were closed because he was worried he might go in his face. No, it was not a penalty.
0: Well, I don't think it should make a difference if your eyes are closed. But it's interesting because um, Steve Nichol disagrees vehemently with you and said the Huth one is a nailed on one. Can you explain why to our lay people if the ball hits him and his hands are... His arms are, are out by his side as they were.
3: Because it's... you're allowed to have arms, and because so you don't have to do
0: the Ivanovich <laughs> thing where you stand with him, on your arms uh, your body. No, they like you're bam, in some they kind of that. Demented they reverse that, straight it does jacket. Does look
3: demented, exactly. No. You think they
0: should just book Ivanovich whenever he does that? I think
3: I would. Yeah. No, because because you have to. It has to be handball. Handball. Think about what that means. That means you're trying to gain advantage by using your hand. Hooth is trying to block across with his body, and it's quite close range. As I say, it's close range enough for him to have his eyes closed because he knows if the ball strikes him in the face or any anywhere personal, it's going to hurt. He's just being brave. It's not down to him that the ball strikes his wrist. It's see, not something he was trying to achieve.
2: See, what's pretty incredible about, I mean, the first one with Danny Simpson is that his hunger and desire to get round Schmeichel as the chance is created for Mane to score and to get there typified what Leicester about. And do you know what? Big clubs get big decisions because that's what Leicester are at the moment, aren't they? They get the decisions for Well, on the decisions front... They did. You could could see the effects from, and I mean it in a way that where referees and linesmen have given them the benefit of the doubt. We've had years of clubs, the bigger clubs, so-called bigger clubs, getting the decisions.
0: All right, I'll circle back to that because I'm not sure that's quite what's happening here. But I I wanted to ask you about what Koeman said uh, since he's he's your mate, Alison, and Rory perhaps less so in your case. But he came out and he said that basically if Leicester continue getting decisions like they get today I'm paraphrasing here Ronald they'll win the title uh, but that's not to say that simply because they're being lucky with referees the referees are helping them to the title it was something to that effect that he basically said it's not very nice is it Roy
1: no but it's understandable I think from a manager who's seen his team narrowly beaten and has in both in both instances although I, I certainly don't think Hoof was a penalty I think Simpson you could make a case for it being a penalty uh, in both instances, he might might have felt that on another day with another referee, with, with, with the same referee in a slightly different position, his team might not have lost that game. So I think it's, it's understandable that Truman said that. I mean, I've not done a study on it, so I can't, I can't pretend to be a complete expert. But I, I don't really recall that many instances this season where you feel Leicester have got incredibly favourable decisions. They've, they've had a couple go against them, even that are slightly kind of sort of unfortunate. But I, I don't know. I, I think that you, you, could, you could go through any team season, big or small, red or blue, black or white, and and say that they've had... You, you could build a case to say they've been favoured by referees or they've not been favoured by ref, referees. I genuinely don't think that well. if Leicester... Did, look, Leicester are seven points clear. The referees haven't given them seven points.
2: Mm-hmm. If he gives a penalty, he has to send Danny Simpson off as well.
0: Right, so that, that means that Danny Simpson isn't there to go and make and have that awful miss uh, and to go and blow his chance and some other dude's there, and then they score, mm-hmm. and then it's two goals down, Ronnie. Hmm?
2: No, I'm just making I'm just the kidding, point. It's a, yeah, it's no, of course. A, Look, you know, they're, they're, he has to send him off as well. This is the thing. With... I don't think the referee wanted to do it. If I'm blankly honest, no. I think the referee thought about it and a bit like what Kuman's coming from. He's probably in the as a senior. I'm not 100
0: percent sure actually that he does need to send him off in that situation because
1: if it's not, not deliberate, he well, no, no, well, send him off.
0: no, 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 no. He can. He, I, I think actually that there's a situation where he could give a penalty and not send him off. The reason being. Is that it's not necessarily a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity because the ball was going to hit Simpson's body. It was a weak shot, right? And the ball was going to. It's like if he hadn't handled it, it would have hit his body, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's not really a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, but it is a penalty if he ha- If you felt that he I handled it I don't, think, like. I don't think
3: that nicety exists in reality, girl. No, like, it was,
1: it's an unusual, unusual thing. Do you, do you think there is? And it's probably one bon for cast. Do you think? Do you think there is a part of referees that's thinking I don't want to be the guy who subconsciously and I'm not no one thinks this consciously but so elite sport is about it's everyone is trying 100% all of the time but there's trying 100% and there's trying 100% Mm. so is there a part of the referees that's thinking I don't want to be the guy who for a a, a marginal decision ruins the Leicester fairy tale and is there a part of their opponents Mm. especially teams like Southampton who don't have a vast amount left to play for they've got Swansea coming up Obviously, when they play Sunderland next week, it's different because Sunderland have a lot to play for. But say when, they, when they're at home to Swansea, Swansea will have switched off a little bit because they're safe. But is there a part, is, is, does the romance start to kind of affect yeah. their opponents?
2: I think there's a part of the, in the human brain of humans doing what they do. They have that indecision on a decision on a split second. And I, I've seen referees put their whistle to the mouth, look like they're going to go, give the pen and something's happened in that microsecond that's changed their mind and I think that happens I've seen that happen with referees I've been in matches involved where they've gone you know that they've changed their mind in a tiniest amount of time and well, I felt that was a.
0: Syed the- would probably tell you that and I think you'd probably be right that sometimes mm-hmm. it has to do with the fact that there are certain unconscious reflexes mm-hmm. that we do like putting the whistle to your mouth but he's not actually blowing because the synapses mm-hmm. are firing in his brain and he's processing what he saw.
3: And there's also voices in his ear from his and assistants telling him, don't blow your whistle!
0: And sometimes voices in his ear because he's... I'm told not to talk about these things for some reason. It is undeniable, though, I think. I mean,
3: Referees are human, yeah. It <laughs> has referees are human it has and
0: bigger teams tend to get decisions because unconsciously you know that if you make an awful mistake that hurts Manchester United or Liverpool, you will be on the back pages and you will be a hate figure. Whereas if you make a, an honest mistake that hurts... Bournemouth, nobody's really going to care because the full population of Bournemouth fans could probably
1: sit in this room.
3: And the crowd. And yet again, the the King Power was rocking with free <sighs> booze. I mean, it's hard to... Where
0: is yeah. it free booze?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, free pints for everyone. He's cracked that, hasn't he, Vich- Vichai? He's worked out that if you do, give people free food and free beer, <laughs> they tend to quite like you. It's amazing.
0: So, we, did I didn't know that he actually, he gives away... No,
1: it, it, was it was his birthday. It, it was his birthday, it's his birthday on Monday, it's his birthday today, as we're recording. Happy birthday, Vichai. Um, so he gave them 30,000 free lagers, 30,000 free donuts, and... Donuts? One gigantic free flag that said happy birthday Mr Chairman See, which I who, cannot believe they came from any, anyone other than the club
2: well he probably can get the booze cheap because he, he's the duty of free man isn't he That's doesn't right. he own half of Asia it's
0: not like he smuggles it in uh, to the country it <laughs> doesn't make like, any, sen- any sense I, I just think it's interesting so like you can go and you can either have a, a donut
3: for one day only. This doesn't happen every time they play at home. But they, do,
1: they do give away a lot of free stuff, Leicester. They have done it before. Is it a brand name,
0: Donut? Is it like Krispy Kreme yeah, or something? It's Krispy Kreme. It is Krispy Kreme. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Wes Morgan because I feel like we're cycling through the different Leicester stars and today's the day we celebrate Wes Morgan. <laughs> Wes Morgan Day. Happy <laughs> yes, Wes Morgan exactly. Day.
2: Donuts for everybody.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> or as they say, say in Germany, Duton Morgan. Ah, very, oh, very clever.
3: that's Very
0: clever, That is good, that is good.
3: Yeah, no, look, Kate. Okay, who thinks when the players vote for player of the season at Leicester you've probably done this while I've been away I mean who will the players vote for I think they'll probably vote for Wes Morgan won't they We're what all players
0: g- the Leicester players yeah or the yeah, other players? yeah
3: when they vote when the players vote for their player of the season everyone's banging I, on about Mares being the player of the season externally
2: do you know what I, I think it's one of them situations where you could look at that team and go do you know what's unfair to say an individual because they've been so good. No, I'm serious, Gab. Yeah. They've been so good in so many different areas. You know, the
0: difference is, and I apologize to those who aren't Roman Catholics like myself, but uh, or who aren't Christian like myself, but if you read the Bible, there's a parable of the talents in there. So the reality is, if you're Wes Morgan, you can work at 100% all season long, and I will command you for your effort, but you will produce less than Riyad Mahrez because he simply has more talents. And if he works at 100%, then he will be... More productive and more important to you, right?
1: There'll be a lot of people in, Leic- in the Leicester squad who are aware that morden has been a huge influence, but I think there's no question that they, like everybody else, will vote for Marez to be player of the season. I oh, see.
3: I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think okay, well, the players will do that for Kaz's reason that they'll know that the accolades will come the way of Mares and Vardy, yeah. and the people who probably they couldn't have done Within without the it. They couldn't have done it without. Someone like Where's Morgan. Well, well, the discussion
2: of Captain the Fantastic? Their Lister. own Captain
3: Fantastic. In fact, I, I'm it. having
2: a problem. I'm having a problem here. We're we're talking about a guy. You're saying, you're saying talents. His talent is. He's a real defender. He absolutely has stood out alongside Hoof at the heart of that back line. Everything you think of recent weeks, they're winning games one nil. The two centre halves have done everything about what's good about defending. Defending's an art. There's very few defenders. I know some great ones that ain't as good as defenders. You look at the 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 uh, Van Dyke, who's playing for uh, for Southampton. Oh, you know, tremendous, tremendous athlete. Great, he's like a Rolls Royce machine. But he ain't a proper defender like Morgan and Hoof.
0: The reason Morgan was in a centre forward position was because Leicester, I think they they, they they had a free kick, right, yep. which came to nothing, and at that point you would. Yes, thank yes. you. You're pointing no, at me. No, because I
2: hope Do you know you're where where I'm going make, Do
0: you know where I'm going? Can I, you let me finish I, and then correct me? I hope
2: me? you're going to say what I want you to say.
0: Okay. At that point, there was a moment when Morgan, you know, the, 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 it's come to nothing. You would expect your centre-back to get, get the heck back into defence, right? He makes the decision that Leicester are going to win the ball back and put in a cross. Christian Fuchs knows that Morgan makes that decision and he puts in a very good cross. Mm. Southampton... You know, as much as we all love Ronald Koeman, clearly there's a major break. And oh, Virgil van Dijk and Jose Font, are so good, they're so smart, and their are goalkeeper. Fraser Foster, he's so clever, he's so big, right? But not one of them notices the large man from Birmingham, who plays for Jamaica, standing in the middle of the box. So it's left to Jordy Classy, who, who is, I think, literally in the size of, of, of a Smurf to go and pick him up because nobody shouts and talks. I just wanted to talk about how we don't often recognise the intelligence, but Morgan made a really intelligent decision at that time, as did Fuchs, and I think Mm. that speaks volume, and I think that wasn't necessarily celebrated enough.
2: You said exactly what I I was thinking. Gab. Because so many times you'd see a centre-half in that position start jogging back to his own halfway line get back. Right. His first intentions, his first thoughts are, I'm getting back to defend. I'm a proper defender, which he is. But he's chose to stay in an area that if they do win the ball back, he knows the fullback... Well, I'll tell you another in. one. He and didn't that just, was, he didn't that just choose, that Leicester for me. He
0: didn't just choose to stand there, but he told... He made sure a teammate knew that this was happening, so that Leicester made adjustments. And if we had a, an aerial view of the pitch, which we yeah. don't have, you would see that somebody else, I don't know who, I could find out, basically went and covered for Morgan in that situation they speak a lot to the confidence of this guy to go and do it final word on Southampton I naturally turn to you Allison, because of uh, your cousin Sammy Lee there but um <laughs> actually we talked about who looks like who like you possibly share a little bit of some of the same genes right me or same- and Sammy
3: Lee separated at birth
0: me and Sammy Lee is this a successful season for Southampton? Of
3: course, it's a successful season for Southampton. I mean, mathematically, they could uh, they could make Champions League places, couldn't they? But um, of course, it is. It's been a, a season where he's, Ronald's had to really keep hold of players who they thought might go in January. He's had potential insurrection, as we've just discussed. He brought in uh, Virgil, and everyone thought, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know," and he's proved to be. Um, extremely good defender for them so I think it has been a good season the fact that we're doubting that it's a good season for Southampton when I mean, they're probably going to finish what 6th, 7th probably mm. and we're slightly disappointed proves that he's he's created a dynasty in 10 minutes there so yes it is a good season for Southampton
0: I actually uh, agree with you I think I think Ronald Koeman is a phenomenal coach and I think um, Ronald if you're if you're listening I know you, you you listen often get in touch with our producer Dave Maguire uh, it would be great maybe to have you on we could, we
3: could take the show
0: to Southampton. Oh, come on! It's, I'm sorry, I'm not going down to freaking Southampton <laughs> to talk to Ronald Koeman. We you can't, know,
1: we can't pay expenses.
0: Let's go to Liverpool and Tottenham. Tottenham's missed opportunity. I, I actually thought this was a really, really good game. It, it was it was very high intensity. Liverpool kind of surprised me in a positive way, Rory, because I thought they'd be sort of thinking ahead to you know Borussia Dortmund and everything, and you, know, you only have too much else to play for, but. But they were up for it, and, then I, and I thought they played generally played well.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just Spurs are, the, are probably, and this isn't meant there's no disrespect to Leicester, but Spurs are probably the, the, the most coherent, cohesive side I've seen this season in the Premier League. They are kind of, the, the, to me, they look like the best team in the league. Obviously, the table doesn't sort of bear that out, but Spurs look like they've kind of got the best plan and kind of know how to do it. And Liverpool aren't any of those things. and it, you, you wouldn't expect, you know, there is in terms of their performance this season, there's been kind of light years between them. But I thought it looked like a, it was a really good game, quite intense between two very good teams who were sort of reasonably well balanced, reasonably well matched, uh, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, particularly because Liverpool could have been forgiven for maybe allowing the drift, as you say, towards the Europa League and Dortmund, because Liverpool have got nothing to play for in the league now. You know, they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. It's unlikely they'll qualify for the, for the Europa League. Uh, at all, in fact, is the only way they get into it through the through Europe is by winning the Europa League, which means they'll be in the Champions League.
0: Yeah then they there won't be in the Europa League at all. You're right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's unlikely that so they've missed uh, out on the Europa League. Come what may. Exactly. Even their the season could end in glory, hampered only by the bittersweet tang of failure to be back in the Europa League. But I think they, it, yeah, it, it did surprise me how much. How I think Spurs looked a better team. Yeah, I think the possession stats bore that out. And it's strange seeing Liverpool play on the counter attack out at in the field. But I thought they actually looked. They look much better matched as teams than I thought they would
3: be. I agree with you, Rory. Tottenham are, are the classier side. But when Liverpool play well, which they have in spurts throughout the season under Klopp, it's very hard to tell the difference between Spurs and Liverpool. The same system, the same approach, the same philosophy, the same cult of manager... Uh, same tactics, uh, same everything, yeah. and when Liverpool are playing right. well they are very similar, and I thought we were very lucky to get a very open game with lots of chances and end-to-end stuff, because when two teams are so similar sometimes it cancels each other out in a sci-fi sort of way, and you get a pile of stodge, but it was um, Liverpool playing very well Spurs possibly could have played better
0: I yeah. sense contrarian gab coming on
1: Is that is there any other type of gab?
0: There is, There was, <laughs> there was happy agreeing gab earlier I appreciate that both teams can play at a high intensity and whatever, but you said they were the same team, Alison. I mean,
3: well, I spent. I spent. Who's Liverpool's, Liverpool's good day. Dele Alli? No, that's the that's the one difference. It's not Lallana. Although Lallana, when he plays well, he's really, again, he's inconsistent. When he plays well, he's really very talented and, and incisive. And, and Sturridge's
0: Kane with a totally different skill set. No,
3: but when, I'm talking about on as a block, as a block. When you we do this talking tactics thing for the Times, and you get clips. So I was going through the clips of Spurs and Liverpool. And I ended up making the point, if you were severely colourblind, you wouldn't know which team this is about, this particular clip's about. Because when they're both playing very well...
2: Yeah, it's the speed of the game as well. It's very similar. They move the ball really quickly into positions that they try and expose you. And yes, Kane isn't really like Sturridge. And Deli Alley's not really got a Liverpool player that you could compare him with. But there were a lot of similarities within that. Set up of the way they they play, I think a big testament is to Liverpool didn't really have anything to play for, and yet they made a real game of it, which as the stamp of Klopp, where you feel like you're not going to have a end of the season where we're just going to have indifferent performances. I thought that was a really good performance by well, them against Tottenham, who are going for the title, you know, which you <laughs> you mustn't forget, you know. So they had a real urgency about them that I mean, you'd expect from Tottenham. By the way, just on one point, what was Zako Asako doing? He felt he felt like he was playing like Franz Beckenbauer at the back, doing all flicks and little passes. Did you not know? God
0: forbid he should have confidence in his technical you know, know, ability. On, on was...
1: the day, Ian Wright said that Sacco was he, at the end. He sort of made it. He, Ian Wright said that the had been a sort of had, had, had this awful performance. And I had a text from Tony Barrett this morning, which, which expressed much the same sentiment. Now, well, read
0: re- read us Tony Barrett's text uh, no, in, his, in his really. accent,
1: please. Come on, it's libelous. I can't read right. it.
2: Well, I know you're saying that uh, having confidence in his ability, but I, thought he was well, I think he's Sacco. having it. He, he did have a, a a decent game, but the problem is, I'm not sure he can do that week in, week out. I'd be very worried the for other Liverpool problem with back four.
1: There were th- the, what what Wright picked up on. There were three minutes where Sacco kind of went nuts and he started doing all these <laughs> stupid things. The other 87, he was he was absolutely fine. It did nothing wrong. Yeah, but he does have, have that, and there's, there's too many players at Liverpool who are. Fine, not great. There's a lot of players who you look at and think they'd be good to have in the squad. You can't have a, a team built out of them if you have any ambition. And there's too many players at Liverpool who are basically pretty good most of the time and then have a couple of minutes where they're dreadful. Mignolet's the same. Sacco, Lovren's prone to it as well. And you can't really have that if you want to achieve anything. And that's what Klopp has to sort out. What, the difference between those two clubs, not teams, is that Spurs have a much leaner squad. There's too much fat mm. in Liverpool squad. Not literally. Uh, And I think that's the the challenge that Klopp has to kind of approach this summer, if he wants to make Liverpool look more like Spurs.
0: Okay, uh, enough Liverpool. Both Coutinho and Kane obviously scored very nice goals, and I was very impressed with Coutinho, actually. Our debate here, uh, or one of our debates, uh, should we start with uh, Remy Gard or Dr. Boner? We'll move on to Dr. Boner, shall we? We'll start with Remy Gard. We can joke about Villa, but actually... It's not that funny because this is historically a, a very big club and a club that, that you've had an association with, uh, uh, Cass. But before I go to you with the context and everything, I want to go to Rory mm. because on paper, from, from what I've been told, and I had a long conversation with somebody who was flabbergasted by Villa's situation, I think possibly because he helped get somebody at Villa hired who turned out to be not very good. Well, they made the point that, look, they kind of did the right thing. They They, they brought in an experienced, open-minded guy in this this Tom Fox character they used a lot of analytics they had the forward thinkers they had everybody in place except perhaps for a manager who fit the system and then it all went horrible and then they compounded it by appointing Remy Gard. were you surprised
1: I, I, I don't think that you can you can say that Remy Gard Remy Gard is a symptom of what in Ron Villa rather than the cause of it he was the wrong appointment at the wrong time but I'm not sure they could have got anyone in really well the, prob- the problems at that club run deeper than who the manager is, is what I would say. So you, you could have got a Pearson in, and they, they might have been able to stay up because until two weeks ago, Norwich, Sunderland, and Newcastle were all busy waiting for them. And Norwich have now put on a bit of kind of form, and that would probably have counted it, Villa out. But until yeah, until the start of March, there were only I think five. Up, there were only two wins out of being properly in the thick of the battle. But the issue at Villa goes back six years, and it it, it runs all the way up to the owner. It's a litany of bad decisions. Tom Fox, I agree, is well thought of within the game as a commercial guy. But there is, there is a sense, I think, with Tom Fox that he's kind of a mini Woodward. He's good at one side of it, the football side of it. He doesn't know that much about... He's, that's not his area of expertise, which is fine. But the problem is that then leaves you open to making bad decisions because you don't have the right information or the, 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 the best information or the most information. And so what you get is the situation where he is being sort of pulled hither and thither by lots of people who have their own agendas... As technical director, who the club were warned against because they were told, look, th- this is not the right appointment. That doesn't work. But I think everything kind of everything traces back to Lerner and the complete, complete sort of drift that he's instituted. This is this is ultimately on Randy Lerner.
0: And Martin O'Neill, of course.
1: No, I think you can look at O'Neill's spending and, qu- and question it and question whether it was wise. And look, when when Lerner pulled the plug on the money, which is, because O'Neill had ra- racked up a massive wage bill. It was hard not to sympathise with him because you were sort of thinking, actually, look, mm-hmm. it is going to cost you twice as much as you spent already to get from sixth to fourth, and that's fine, and that's a decision you have to make. But then what he's allowed to happen at the club is it, he, he's made a succession of bad appointments in terms of management, managers and, and sort of football staff. He's allowed the club to drift. He's tried to sell it. He had an, an offer to buy it and then pulled out. It, it's just been chaos for, for five or six years, and that ultimately is learner's responsibility.
0: I yeah. have two little Snippets, two little Villa-related nuggets that I wanted to uh, relate. One of them concerns the appointment of Remy Gard, and one of them concerns something Tim Sherwood said.
3: Do tell, Gab. We're a gog, we're a
0: gog. Which one would you like to hear first? Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood. Somebody, this was pointed out at the Sloan Analytics Conference, that earlier in the season, Tim Sherwood, while talking that all this tactics and stuff, sorry, all this uh, analytics and data is all nonsense, He actually kept saying that, you know, at the end of games, well, we created better chances than they did, and we could have scored more, and we should have done better, and we were unlucky, and blah, 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 which is basically expected goals. Mm. So, he was actually...
2: Doing analytics.
0: Well, or at least he was doing it based on what he saw Mm. rather than what the numbers told him, but maybe if he'd made the point about the analytics to... His superiors, who thought that, mm. oh, he just doesn't get the numbers. Maybe he might have had more support from the ownership, and maybe he might have stuck around longer. That also tells me, by the way, that Villa's points total was a lot worse than their play suggested when Sherwood was uh, was let go. Mm. And I think that's something you can throw up at the owners. The other point is, I didn't get this Remy Guard three and a half year deal. Mm. I, it just seems absolutely absurd to me. And he spoke to somebody who um, talked to Villa's people. And they said that when they appointed him, like, well, we gave him a three-and-a-half-year deal because we have a three-year plan, and we're going to stick with him come what may. We have a very clear idea of where he's going to go with us, so and he talked about the philosophy and all this BS, to which my, my, my friend made the point, well, but if you get relegated, there is no three-year plan. And they genuinely thought it was impossible that they were going to get relegated. You're going to have serious questions about these, these people, Fox and, and, and mm-hmm. Almstadt, if they really looked at it and said, oh, look, you know, there's almost no possibility because we're just better.
2: Wasn't there Paddy O'Reilly as well? You know, <laughs> Paddy O'Reilly? Is that really his name? Paddy, no, Paddy, 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 Paddy Riley, Riley.
0: Paddy,
1: Paddy you Riley. Guys
0: making, you guys are making these names. Paddy
1: up. Riley. Is He's he your countryman?
2: I, I had some serious stuff about Remy Gard. I was watching his team. Now, I understand what you talked about with Tim Sherwood and the analytics and working with analysts. I think there's a lot of lazy managers who don't. I'm, Take, sorry, I'm not no. suggesting he's lazy. I'm saying it was just no, funny. I. He
0: came to but, the same conclusion by looking that the analysts came so, to by, by crunching the, their numbers. Yeah. That, that's all yeah. I'm saying.
2: I had a real problem about Remy Gard, not only with his contract like you, but the football that I was watching, like Tim Sherwood, I'm thinking this isn't a team that looks like they're trying to score goals, trying to stay up, trying to have, trying to win a football match. It just didn't look like it. I watched them play at Man City. And they need to win. They only had wins left in... it. And they didn't have a shot for eighty minutes. And I remember thinking, surely your your remit as you before you go out in this game is how are we gonna cause a very average back four in Man City problems? Who had lost to Tottenham and Leicester, okay, much better teams than Villa. And I saw absolutely nothing in their style of play, the way they were set up, how any individual was given a role in in, in the in a in team's way of playing that could, you know, establish a way of winning for them i couldn't see from remy Gard anything at all i was told and alleged and this was uh, i was told by patty tried, no i was told by a very good source that he tried to bring gerard houlier back to the club stop it stop stop why do you tell me these things why because remy guard wanted Gerard houlier to hold uh, his hand uh, no above him to work brian little's role i heard that as well no, i was told that a long time ago
0: there wouldn't now, be a bad appointment for what? From a Birmingham but, City point of view? What, 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 no. What? Seriously, the what? Villa,
2: the, Villa, the Villa heads, uh, uh, obviously... Are up there. Yeah. But they wanted... Uh, did not want Gerard Houllier for the r- certain for reasons... obvious quite, reasons. Like, obvious yeah. reasons, yeah. But that completely undermined Remy Gard very early on in his tenure at, as manager. So
0: sure, wouldn't I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, w- wouldn't you, Remy Gard, have come when you go and you do an interview with this guy, right? Mm. And you say... Hey, Remy, well, first of all, I looked at your Wikipedia page and I've kind of noticed that Leon became much better after you left. And I've also kind of noticed (laughs) that while you were very quick to take credit for Leon's Academy and all the young players, you actually only spent one year Mm -hmm. there. And I've also noticed that you spent a long time uh, as an assistant to Julier and uh, and Claude Puel, both of whom might have infected your brain with Mm. stupid weirdo ideas. And (laughs) also, I've also noticed that you're not young anymore. And yet nobody ever thought to give you a shot in all those years that you were an assistant. Nobody thought like, mm. hmm, yeah, let's see if he wants to coach, which is also kind of weird.
2: Gab, I'm, I'm 100% with you and what you're saying. I'm just saying what I was talking And I think the problem came, once you start losing manage- uh, games as a manager, you start asking different questions. Because you think, if he'd have wanted Hulia in a football club, when he first got the, the job at Villa, he'd have said, I want someone above me that does a lot of the work that A. Brian Little would do. Wouldn't Olmstead be doing this stuff? Whoa. Isn't that why he's there? <laughs> it hasn't happened. But, I mean, look, I don't know why. What, 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 like, what
0: kind of a guy yeah. gets hired as a club and then says, oh, by the way, my boss, my technical director, I want him gone. I want him gone. Hmm. What kind of a person does that? Especially when you're Remy Guard and you've got no freaking CV to begin with. I understand if you hire Jose Mourinho, then yes, you give him the three and a half year deal and whatever. Because hmm. he's actually achieved something hmm. in his managerial career. But this guy, you're going to bend over backwards. You, a last place team, you're going to bend over backwards for for some freaking Remy, for the first Remy guard that walks in your door. This is planning.
3: Can we just bring it full circle, though? Because uh, yes. Rory began by saying it, it, it stops, the book stops with Lerner. And it does, because Appointing Guard was a very romantic appointment, and he sold it to Guard on a romantic basis. He told him he loved the club, and he felt that Remy God had the beauty of soul and ability to save it. And he really said these things to Guard. That's rubbish. And he, sh- that should, he, sh- he should have appointed somebody who was... Hard, tough, pragmatic, knew the Premier League and the tough side of it more than anyone that he could, you know, you could possibly dream up. Instead, he went to the least likely candidate and sold it to him on the basis of
0: love. Right, let's move on to Dr.
1: Boner. (laughs) Stop diddling, Gab.
3: Doctor who? (laughs)
0: What's funny about this guy is the former um, speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. If you read his name, it also looks like his name could be Boner, but in fact, it's at least he has a good word. At least he has, at least he pronounces it Boehner. This guy could pronounce his name Bonar, like Sonar or something, but no. Anyway, we were teased on on Saturday uh, announcement, big Sunday Times uh, drug story, drugs and sports story. Um, and then, when you read the paper, you essentially found out that I mean, this guy—he's uh, somebody who's currently facing a, a disciplinary case for having a patient who had a who had a tumor uh, and it was malignant and who was a terminal. Of, he's accused of not telling them that, that it was a uh, that this person was terminally ill, so that he could continue to uh, apply his patient with various treatments. I anyway, mean, that's the accusation against him. He'll be, have a hearing on that. So this is the kind of individual somebody who it's not even clear if he has, if his medical license is active right now. This guy used to work with somebody who apparently was like in his late 30s, but had ambitions to be a professional cyclist, was some kind of amateur cyclist. The two worked together. The cyclist then apparently felt that Dr. Boner was prescribing some kind of, um...
2: Cocktail?
0: Performance enhanced, some stuff that was illegal or or not in line with... uh, the doping code. So he went and he reported it to the UK uh, Anti-Doping Association. They didn't quite follow up on it. They felt it wasn't their jurisdiction. So then this person went and spoke to the Sunday Times. And the Sunday Times uh, Insight team set up a, a, some kind of sting operation, which they sometimes do, where they get people to go in with hidden cameras, Poses clients clients, <laughs> Dr. Boner, um, who it certainly appears, if you listen to the film, that he boasts about Having worked with 150 top sportsmen, although of course "top sportsman" is one of those words. Like you know, what is a top sportsman? And he suggests that he's given them EPO and other dr- drugs uh, over the years. And he suggests he basically offers to do it to this these undercover reporters, effectively. Right, Th- that's the story. I'm not missing much. Oh, sorry. And then Dr. Boner says that afterwards that. No, he never actually offered to do anything illegal. This was all part of some sort of therapeutic uh, use exemption type thing. He was just bringing their levels back up to a normal situation. And uh, he named a bunch of football clubs as well among his clients, and all of them now deny it. Rory, does this warrant massive alarm bells and freakouts? Because what I see, frankly, is a quack fantasist telling a bunch of lies... To, to, who's told lies before, possibly telling more lies to people hoping to get their business. But in reality, there's no... The, the, the Sunday Times were unable to get any confirmation of anybody that he's actually worked with, anybody relevant, anybody he's ever given drugs to. As far as we know, he's never given dr- illegal performance-enhancing drugs to, to anybody.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think the first thing is that if you were Birmingham City, who were one of his alleged clubs, you'd be asking for a refund. Uh, the the other thing I think... Yeah, look, the the claim from Dr. uh, (laughs) Bona doesn't stand up. Um, The the, the claim from Dr. Bona in itself isn't enough. It's not, it it isn't, as you say, there's too many things that it could be. It could be him lying, he could be a fantasist, he could be trying to drum up business. It could be completely true. Who knows?
0: But well, he also denies it too, well, which thing, is weird because you would actually think that since you've been busted, yeah, if you had evidence, you would actually want to collaborate Certain and act as a whistleblower, gap,
1: like in films,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. And
1: the but I think which, have,
0: by the way, sorry, if I go back, it's my understanding is the cyclist who initially reported Doctor Boner, that's what he did. The cyclist was found po- was or tested positive. He had a two year ban, and he got that ban reduced by three months by implicating Dr. Boner with the U- UK, uh, uh, UK Anti-Doping Agency. But Sorry, I think,
1: so I think that Dr. Boner's revelations or claims or whatever, they are not worth worrying about too much on their own. But there is no question this, isn't, th- this is an issue. And I, know, and I know, Gab, you are very skeptical about talking about doping in football, and I think you have many well-reasoned arguments for why that is your stance. But I think it, it is an issue that football generally doesn't take quite seriously enough
0: is what would, would you say. like to see
1: well i think you'd, you'd like i'd like to see players tested randomly more than once a year which is roughly the average as it stands at the moment which i don't i just don't think that's enough uh, you're I talking
0: just, about you know talking now obviously about what we, we're talking about applies to players who don't play in european competition
1: yes yeah within the premier league i mean i think it's got better and uefa are more on it than the premier league generally and more on it than the fa that's partly a funding issue I would like, and, and the clubs themselves do plenty of work. I saw a piece by Ken Early in the, um, in the Irish Times talking about doping and sort of combining it with, with, with Leicester, and there is this constant kind of hubbub of suspicion around Leicester, which, as far as I can tell, is completely unfounded. The point of that is that once there are doubts, you need to do as much as you can to alleviate all of those doubts. So if Leicester are completely clean, then, which, as far as we know, they are, they, they have the right not to have their incredible story spoiled by this sort of susuration of rumour and innuendo. So I think I'd like to see the the authorities do as much, do more than they are and as much as they can to establish that the sport is clean. I would love to believe that football is clean. I would love it to be clean. I think there are, and Gab, you have lots of. We've talked about this before. You you present a very compelling case for why it is clean. But well, no, no, I, no,
0: not, not the whole sport. I'm saying is on the, in in the, yeah. in the main. You know, you need to come up with more compelling answer, more compelling reasons to to doubt somebody rather than. Something like, "Oh look, they were really bad. Now they're really good."
1: The point that Ken makes in, in his piece is that, you know, they should be testing the blood. In Germany, a lot of teams test players' blood, and maybe we're not doing that enough. In the Premier League, Premier League clubs test their players' saliva every day. If there was any kind of freelance doping going on, the clubs would know about it. There is not a shadow of a doubt about that. Um, so I, I, I choose to believe that there isn't that there isn't anything to, to suspicious of. But I don't think the authorities do enough to make us all believe that
3: they are completely owned medically by their clubs. Mm. I I mean you you get any tour of any club and the their the medical facilities which extends to their close family as well because they don't mm. want players bringing in bugs into the dressing room. They need them to be as healthy as possible. I've also been at a club when when the the drug testing team has just arrived completely without anyone knowing it and they've swarmed over the building and it's they repelled the down cal- from the roof. The, right? the calmness about that. I too like Gab would be astonished if mm. there are I'd be astonished if there was, it was done from the top of a football club, that it was a policy at a football club to give their players oxygenated blood so they all ran a bit faster. And I would be astonished if players had it... Were eight, I mean, I just don't see how they're physically able to escape the system to do something on their own.
0: OK, enough doping. How about some quick hits? Arsenal pommel Watford, who look as if they're already on the beach, and Wenger talks about the spirit of 98 which I think was when they had, we were way behind and had a billion games in hand, which they don't now. But anyway, he still believes in the title.
2: Do you, Cass? No. Um, without saying, being Groundhog Day, as our, as we are month after month with Arsenal, is um, way too little too late. And I thought it was the perfect time to play Watford. After losing to him in the Cup and then having him at the Emirates, I just thought it was going to be a bit of a whipping, and it was. But Theo's back
0: on the on the score sheet, so mm-hmm. that's that's like a new signing. Wild and crazy relegation six-pointer at Carrow Road, but it's Norwich who edge it, 3-2. Rory, was this the game in which your mate Rafa relegated the tune?
1: Uh, I'm, I wouldn't ever express it that way, Gab, yeah, I think that's not entirely fair. Uh, this I, is a bit they, of a
0: wind-up, I suppose. They
1: have a really big task ahead of them now. I think I think if it had been a draw, that would have been bad enough, but to, to concede that goal in what, the 93rd minute, it, it feels like a real hammer blow. A lot of it now depends, uh, this is a statement of the obvious, but it depends on whether Norwich can keep up their form or whether they can suck Palace back into it, but they have to start winning soon.
0: Can you imagine what a great story that would be? Manchester United beat Everton 1-0, and uh, they're just a single point out of fourth place. Yet Louis van Gaal said something which I found disturbing and unsettling and un unfan Gaal like afterwards. He said that United were terrible, that they, well, I'm paraphrasing here, he said that United stole the win and that they were lucky to beat Everton. Is this newer, humbler, Van Hal, unsettling? Is there a deeper meaning to this?
3: No, it was, it's a temporary, it's a blip. It, um, two reasons. One is Van Hal was overtaken by the emotion of the occasion and the honours being bestowed upon Stop. Sir Bobby Charlton. Indeed, he shed a tear, and he would have liked, I think, for that game to have somehow expressed this so-called um, philosophy of the club and been more passionate. And the second thing was, they he's telling the truth, it was a dreadful game, and United were awful, and they were
0: very lucky indeed. But weren't Everton really bad too?
3: They were bad in an Everton sort of way, but they played the nicer football.
0: Hmm. Chelsea win 4-0 at Aston Villa, and we actually see some uh, some of these new faces in the Blues lineup. Uh, Matt Biazga at the back, Ruben Loftus Cheek in midfield, Pato scoring on his debut—something he keeps doing throughout his career. Cass, are we glimpsing the future here?
2: Maybe we've lost his cheek. It might be a bit of an argument there that he will get a sort of a starting role next season. Uh, Pato showed some glimpses, like you said, a great ball. Uh, obviously scored for a penalty, made a great ball to Pedro. Uh, the problem is it was a poor old villa they were playing so it wasn't great evidence of where they are as a, a team
0: it's nice to see these guys on the pitch though i guess gary neville is no longer the valencia manager and there's plenty of i told you so's all around um rory full disclosure I, i'm a big gary neville fan i'm assuming you are too but was this a crime of arrogance or ignorance or was it simply someone who trusted in his own abilities and got some very bad advice from some very bad people.
1: It's a little bit of all three, I think. Uh, I'm a big fan of Gary's as well, Uh, but I think he didn't realise the scale of the task he was taking on. I think he thought that he would get away with a sort of easier ride if he wasn't in England. That was wrong. I think he underestimated how much chaos Peter Lim has kind of instituted at that club. And I think basically he would have been better off, and this this is the benefit of hindsight and told you so's and what have you, Maybe would have been better off taking a slightly lower-profile English club where he would have been given a bit more time and a bit more understanding. Yeah. That's not Valencia. Valencia aren't like that.
0: Manchester City beat up Bournemouth, another team on holiday. Although I think, let's be fair, Bournemouth pretty much deserve it, right? They've won their, their Champions League this year. Uh, but more importantly, Kevin De Bruyne is back! Wee! Allison, had he been around all season, would they be the ones battling Leicester City for the title? And can they use the return of Kevin De Bruyne to do something unexpected, like win the Champions League or go very close? No, um, Or even just no. knock out PSG?
3: No, and no, no. De Bruyne is, um, I think he's got a tiny bit, just a tiny bit of the flat-track bully about him. He does tend to shine when the opposition aren't amazing and City have found their groove. Uh, then he looks lovely. He looks an absolutely lovely player. I've, I, I've not seen enough evidence of him taking hold of a game by the scruff of the neck and dictating it and being the the player. So I don't know that it would have made a huge difference. Uh, I've tipped PSG to win the Champions League. So of Ooh. course, City are not going to overcome that obstacle. And uh, what was the other question? Title. No, no, there's, there's something. There's something. Um, no, no, I don't. And the fact that you're even saying that about City, that one player might have made the difference that much difference so that they could be challenging Leicester. No, there's deeper problems.
0: Wow, a little misnegativity negativity today.
3: Anyway, I've got a question for you. Classico time in La Liga. Um, Please tell us, how did things work out for your mate ZZ Top?
0: Ooh, that that would be your mate, Zidane. He's not my mate. He's not my mate. Oh, one of the most
3: overrated players ever.
0: Well, he he headbutted the Matrix.
3: Must be an interesting thing about him.
0: Um, I think that worked out really well for Zidane, and this is kind of maybe perhaps a little bit uh, overlooked in some of the coverage, is that uh, this wonderful narrative where in the first Classico this year, Rafa feels compelled and Rory might correct me on this if he so chooses, not to play Casemiro and to play this demented, unbalanced lineup. I don't know if Florentino forced him, or maybe Rafa said, like, oh, look, let me go and play all the crazy attacking players. You want me to play Florentino and We'll just get a rear end handed to us and I'll prove to you that it doesn't work. Is that pretty much what happened? Right, yeah, Murray? that sounds
1: just like Rafa, doesn't it? Going into a big game with a really attacking lineup. He's famous for it.
0: Exactly, exactly. But Zidane, he's now played Casemiro like for a month and a half uh, in a row. And he went into that game and it wasn't Galactico Real Madrid, it was Mourinho Real Madrid. It was sort of defend and counter. And let's get Gareth Bale and Cristiano to actually work and do some defending. And after the first 20, 25 minutes, when Barcelona were maybe a bit tired also, because a lot of the guys uh, came back from the international break and were in South America. Luis Suarez misses a, a guilt chance. After that, Real Madrid became more comfortable and they grew into the game. And even though they went a goal down, they they, they equalized almost straight away. Keller Navas made a tremendous save. At the end, Gareth Bale had a goal uh, disallowed, which should have stood. Okay. Perfectly good goal. Cristiano, I thought, was was really, really good and humble and, and energized. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I, listen, I don't... Barcelona had, won, had uh, been 39 games unbeaten to that point. Uh, I don't know if it's not going to derail them for La Liga. I don't know if there's a deeper thing. We'll find out soon enough. They play Atletico Madrid in, in the Champions League. But, you know, it did kind of serve as a reminder that Zidane can be can be quite grown up and uh, and savvy when he needs to be. And I thought he showed a lot of personality. And I hope Mr. Perez is, is pleased. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today the excellent Tony Cascarino, the outstanding Allison Rudd, and the Didsbury-based Rory K. Smith. Uh, Please, please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week, or actually, I won't be, because I'm going on holiday. That's right. I'll be joining uh, Rory. I'll be visiting Didsbury. Can you you recommend some sites?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, now.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there's many people who's... D- Dinsbury is, is like a, p- a pleasant suburb of, of Manchester, right?
1: Yeah, it's kind of Manchester's, what's the best equivalent? St. Like Albans? Highgate.
0: Highgate, really? Yeah. So you have a large cemetery with uh, with the tomb of, uh, of famous political people there. No, yeah, we've
1: got so many cemeteries.
0: There you go. There you go. It's a wonderful place to go trick or treating, as I understand it as well. So, kids out there who are listening, next, next October 31st, please go visit the Smith Household. You can also, if you're still with us, you can remember to uh, press that subscribe button. And, of course, you can also get exclusive football highlights free if you subscribe to the Times. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search the Times online. You can also enjoy the brand-new Revamped Times website, which I'm still wrapping my head around, but visually looks uh, looks quite stunning. Till next time,
2: bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even
3: on a budget?